Only on a Sunday, a podcast about more than church. Welcome to the Only on a Sunday podcast. My name is Daniel Lowry, and I'm here with my wife, Kristen. Hi. This season, we are focusing on deconstructing church, where the church has been and where it's going. And we wanted to start off with talking about why we're doing a podcast. We have been pastors of a local church for the last 13 years, and we were at the same church for 15. We recently had an experience where we had to leave that church, um, which we will talk about in future episodes. And as we're doing a new thing, we're establishing kingdom expressions and realizing as we're talking to people about missional living and traditional church models and new church models and what does church even should look like, all those conversations we're having we really felt like it would be super helpful to have a resource to share with people. And so here we are. We're going to record a podcast. We have guests that are going to be joining us in future episodes and just a really good resource to talk about this topic of deconstructing church and especially the American church. Just thoughtful, kind kind of like the, you can jump in here, honey, kind of like the conversations we've been having at home that we just want to share with other people. Yeah, I think really the heart of what we're hoping to accomplish with this podcast is to look at different topics and issues with a kingdom lens. And so often it's so easy to kind of look at church and I don't know, any other topic, anxiety, grieving, you know, politics through other lenses than the kingdom. So we look at it as Americans, or we look at it as small business owners, or we look at it through, you know, whatever identity label we find ourselves attached to. And uh, in this podcast, we really want to take a look at kingdom ideas of things. And, and so that's really one of the reasons we decided to, you know, kind of use the tagline or you know, only on a Sunday podcast, a podcast about more than church. So we don't want to just look at things through like your local church kind of Christianese type of way of looking at the world, but really being able to step back and look kingdom wise. And this first season, like Kristen said, we're talking about deconstructing church because that is the thing that is most, that is the foremost on our mind as we're moving out into new expressions. And we're just finding more and more that this kind of heart cry of people who've over and over said, there's just got to be more to church than this. And we're experiencing that. And so we just want to take the first season to really talk about our experiences and interview different people who are having other experiences and take a couple few episodes and talk about why things are happening historically, socially, psychologically, you know, all those types of things. So yeah, I'm really excited. We've got some great guests lined up that really have some fabulous things to say. So one of the things we want to do is start each episode of this season with kind of a funny ministry story. And church is just, I mean, it can just be a crazy place. Like it can be a very hurtful place, you know, some of our biggest wounds and biggest hurts can come in church. Like that's definitely people's experiences. I've been hurt multiple times in church. Yeah. I know you have too, hon. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just a big old group of messy people. So yeah. it's got to happen. But 
some pretty ridiculous things happening. Yeah, here. some funny Ooh. things happen, like stuff you can't, like you couldn't write and put in yep. a movie. So I know you have one about, uh, you know, your Spotify episode you'll share uh, later, but I thought I would start off with one of my own. Yeah, is that okay? Yep. Okay. So basically, I was a just budding kind of youth leader, junior high. So a friend of mine, Jared, and I, we were kind of co-tag teaming this fledgling youth group. We both started with like two or three kids, and God did some great things. And we had this youth room that was just full of kids. There's 50, 60, 70 kids. And God was really doing this, this just amazing work in this small little church in Orange, California. And uh, we decided that we needed some worship uh, because, I mean, that's kind of what you do, right? Like you're, you're not legit until you, you have worship, right? Exactly. Yeah. So we decided let's have worship. So we looked around and no one knew how to do worship. So I said, well, my roommate plays guitar, so maybe I can learn from him. So uh, two weeks later, got my guitar and my three chords, G, D, and C, as many of you yeah, three three chords in a cloud of dust. And so we started doing some some worship sets. And and I mean, to say that it was God awful would be an understatement. Um, the timing was off. Everybody's off. But we were up there, you know, we're just worshiping with all our heart and the kids are going for it. And, and, and I got to be honest, I've been in some worship settings where like it was professional and it was not nearly as good as we were doing. So we're up there, we're, we're singing and I'm doing simple, simple songs like, Lord, I lift your name on high, you know, because it's just a couple of chords. And one of the f- favorite songs they had was called In the Secret. Oh, yeah, that's a classic. Exactly. And one of the lines of In the Secret is, I want to touch you. I want to feel you. I want to, you know, do these types of things, right? So we're singing. We're having a good time. Mm -hmm. Well, one Wednesday night, we're in there. We're worshiping. And this new couple, I guess, I mean, they were... 16, 17, maybe came in and they were friends of friends of the kids. They came in, started joining us, you know, like, Hey, you're welcome. This is great. We're going through, I go through my, you know, rendition of Lord, I lift your name on high. And then I hop into in the secret and I'm sitting there and I'm playing and I'm looking out over the crowd. And these two kids are in the back of the room making out like, like, oh my goodness. like married 20 years, have four kids making mm-hmm. out hands over no, each other. Yeah, okay. I mean, yep, it's just kidding. like, it's just like get a room. Okay. Oh so I'm sitting there leading worship and I'm looking out and these two kids are just going to town and I'm sitting there looking at myself and the words that are coming out of my mouth are, I want to touch you. No, no, I want no, to no, feel no, you. Right. So basically they never. took it seriously and said, yeah, I'd like yeah, to touch you. and totally. I'd like to feel you. So here I am in the middle. I will never I, sing that song again. I don't know what to do. Like, do I stop and say, Hey, um, you know, man. knock it off. What did, or, you, what did you end up doing? Or do I keep going? So in all what honesty, I just, I just kept going and they kept, oh they God. kept making out. And, and yeah, you know, eventually, yeah, it was, it was not so bad. Eventually they got saved. And stopped. <laughs> <Not so bad. laughs> they stopped, that's they stopped why, touching and feeling each you other. You are the youth pastor because they <laughs> would not have survived that evening if I had been the youth pastor. <laughs> yes, we all know you would have reigned hellfire. Yeah. And brimstone that's down. Right. Oh um, my word. So anyway, that's my that's, that's my great. funny ministry story. 
and it ruins that song forever and ever. I hope so. So <laughs> this this first uh, episode, what we wanted to do was share with you a little bit out of our story, kind of our church upbringing, and then uh, kind of our exodus out of the local church and into doing different things. So yeah, so hun, if you wouldn't yeah. mind sharing. I definitely grew up like traditional, you know, the 80s and 90s right-wing evangelical church setting. I feel really, really blessed because I had a solid church growing up. And I was at the same church for pretty much my, I mean, until I was 16 years old. Um, So I had relationships and friendships and respected my pastor and my youth pastor. Like I was that church girl. I joined the worship team and youth group when I was, you know, 13 or however old I had to be. Uh, I started going on missions trips. My church was very, um, we were Pentecostal, but we were also very missions focused. So every month we had a missionary who was on furlough from somewhere come through our church and speak. And then usually my mom would have them over for lunch or a lot of times they even stayed at our house just for like the night while they were in town. So I grew up very aware of missions. In fact, I would say missionaries were like gods. They were gods among men. It was kind of like the penultimate way to serve God would to be would be to go to the mission field somewhere. And to be honest, like the dirtier, the better. So like India, you were a real Christian if you moved to India to serve Jesus, right? And so that's that was the model presented to me. And so I wanted to be a missionary because everybody loved missionaries and they got the best treatment. They were the most honored. They were the best people. And so I... And, And to be honest, I loved God. Like I've always loved Jesus. I've loved serving the Lord. I've never not served because it just feels weird to not serve. So it was interesting, I think, going from this short-term missions trips and being young and not really having any responsibility. And then obviously when we got married and took over this church that we've been at for forever, seeing how just how much you can say mission's important and you can say it's really important to reach the world and to reach out, but reaching out and taking care of your church organizationally are often diametrically opposed to each other. There, It's like this conflict of interest where we all know what the Great Commission is. We all know that we're supposed to be reaching out and serving our neighbors and loving our neighbors as ourselves. We all know that stuff. But when you're actually trying to run a church, it doesn't actually work that way. So anyway, for me, my church upbringing, I love Jesus. Missions was a huge deal, but it was very much that particular way of doing missions where you decide I'm going to move to a foreign country. I'm going to learn language. I'm going to live there, raise my kids there. And I'm going to come back and ask the U.S. for money. That was kind of like my version of missions, if you will. Okay. What about your experience in uh, FCA in college? Was that a little bit different? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I would say I loved, loved, loved going to FCA. It was like my community and I wound up really developing my chops, so to speak, as a worship leader because I just did it 
every week and I would practice for hours and hours and hours. And so that I feel like was super formative. FCA wasn't really an outreach group. It was amazing community because when you're in a secular environment, like the college we were at, you really need some solid people around you to hang in there (laughs) Um, because nobody else is doing what you're doing. I mean, I had my roommate ask me if she and her boyfriend could use my dorm room for the weekend for their activities (laughs) because, because her room wasn't big enough. And I was like, I'm just not really comfortable with that. I think so. I really, you're very sweet. I have no problem with you. But so FCA was more, I would almost say it was more like a support group, you know, for believers who are on campus. It wasn't super, it wasn't outreach oriented. So would you... Would it be safe to say, so then with your church upbringing, it was really kind of like the holy huddle, and then we would do some random things here and there, yeah. mission-wise? mission, mission wise. I wouldn't even say it's random, to be honest. My church did a great job. They had a relationship with a particular orphanage in Mexico, and they went twice a year every year. They were very faithful. I mean, obviously, it was just for a week at a time. It wasn't like we're sending people back and forth or establishing long-term relationship necessarily, but they were very faithful. And there were these certain things that this is what we do. This is what we support. So I think that they modeled that very well. Well, yeah, my, my church upbringing, you know, it didn't have anything to do with mission. That's for sure. Because my family was the mission field (laughs) for, you know, when you think about it, my dad, they were Episcopalian, my dad's side of the family, but you know, in name only. I don't think my dad, last time he went to church was probably when he was a teenager. And when he had me, he was, you know, in his 30s. So, and then my mom really was uh, the one that would take us to church periodically. Uh, she's Catholic, more cultural Catholic, I think at the time. And so we would, we would always go to Christmas Eve midnight service like that was the thing sometimes we would do easter definitely never miss good friday because that's like i mean if you miss good friday like you're in trouble you're going to hell like that's like you're gonna spend all year making up for it right so that was kind of it it was just like i don't know it was it was like no different than our annual Disneyland trip. It's just something that you did. And there were parts about it that were fun and parts about it that were, you know, not fun. So that was kind of that and and never really had a, whether I doubted there was a God or not, it just didn't matter. Like it was never mm-hmm. a topic of conversation, right? It just had no meaning in life. And so later on when I was about 19, uh, I was witnessed to by a small business owner, a guy that I was working for. And, you know, it's just a long story there, but I got saved and went back to the Catholic church because that's kind of what I knew. And maybe a few weeks I was there, a couple of months, and I was just like, man, this is just, hmm, I don't, I don't know. So I had a buddy that we went to high school together. We were both not good guys in high school. That's kind of how we knew each other and wound up like he, he became a Christian. I did. He said, Hey man, I go to this church over here. You want to come? So I visited, you know, it was a little bit more lively, but I remember my first Sunday I walked in and they Mm -hmm. were singing this song. We're going up to Zion. 
and people got their hands in the air and oh, the, yeah. the bands going. I mean, it's just did a normal flags? Pentecostal. Did they have flags? I did not stick around long enough to find out if they had flags. Like I literally opened up the door. I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> Turned back around and left because I'm Catholic. We don't we're like you're not allowed to talk 20 minutes before the mass and right. 20 minutes after. Right. Like You right. just don't talk. So that's kind of my church upbringing. And it wasn't until later kind of got plugged in, in a church that I would say was hyper charismatic, like hyper charismatic. And, you know, it was nice being there. The people were really good. Develop a lot of relationships. I, I had, you know, a mentor that was wonderful in my life. But, you know, what I like to say is I started reading the book of Acts and just because, I mean, that's what you do, right? And so I just figured I should probably read this book that I profess to believe. So I started reading it. And as I was reading the book of Acts, I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm not seeing what you guys are talking about. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, maybe like one little verse here or there, but what uh -huh. you guys are talking, like, it just doesn't seem to go together. So that kind of led me on a journey to kind of look at other things. And so I started attending Church in the Way with, with Jack Hayford on Wednesday nights. And then Sunday nights, I was going to Grace Community with John MacArthur. And I mean, you can talk about like yin and yang. Those two yeah, guys, right? like, really? You went to both? Okay. Yeah, but I was I was learning. And, and so then I went on to college and later became a youth pastor. But that was pretty much my church upbringing is not a lot of mission. Jesus doesn't really getting too involved in life. And if you have a problem, pray to him and hopefully, you know, he's going to answer. And if he doesn't, you know, then you're just going to go do what you're going to do anyway. But that's kind of my church upbringing. Then, you know, through years later, started youth pastoring just because my pastor, I guess there was nobody else. So, you know, Hey Dan, like you're, you're the next guy up. So do you want to do it? And I really caught the, caught the bug of ministry at that time. And I really enjoyed it. And God was really blessing that time. And at the time I was working as a sales rep and I was making really, really good money actually. And I was 20, three, something like that. I was making 50, 60 grand. I was 23 years old. Like, and this is 20 years ago. Right. But I, I just woke up one morning and I was thinking, you know, I could do this for the next 30 years of my life, but I'm just really living for the weekend. But on those, on those Wednesdays where I had youth group, I was like, I was so excited. And so I just made the decision then that I, I wanted to do something with my life that I was excited about and that, yeah. that mattered. So I just went full force into youth ministry, did that for 10 years, worked in college ministry for five of those years, and then eventually went to Foursquare Church and uh, became the pastor there. So that's kind of my story story into ministry. Yeah. So did you want to talk a little bit, babe, about kind of maybe the first seven years of pastoring or so? Or Yeah. Well, like, I, mean, I was going to say, like, we both ended up at that church in 2005, and it was a pretty... I would just say like pretty traditional American church where you have a service on Sunday morning, you have a service Wednesday night, you have a men's group and a women's group. And the, you know, the women's group has tea for Mother's Day and the men's group goes camping or does a pancake breakfast. Bacon. <laughs> yeah, lots of bacon. Gotta have bacon. Sausage. You know, you have a youth group, you have the kids and, and it's like there's nothing absolutely nothing wrong with that. And we loved those people. Um, obviously, we made plenty of mistakes, like our fair share of mistakes as we were newlyweds and new to 
senior pastoring all at the same time. So it's not like we were perfect, but that was the context. And I remember thinking to myself, because I came from this missions thing, right? Where everything, not everything our church did, but so much of what our church did was directed towards mission and missionaries. Not that our church did like local outreaches per se, but they gave a lot of money to support missionaries. And there was like this huge poster in the foyer with all the people's pictures. And this is where they're at in the world. And we would have a missions banquet every year that was like formal and super fancy. And you you would give money to the missionaries. And, and I remember when we got to this little church, just thinking like, wow, you people like don't do anything and you don't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> And I think I push really, really hard to like, can we at least go to Mexico? Because it's only a couple hours away. And it's, it's like a low, um, what it, it's like an entry level, right? Where no one's asking you to get a passport at that time. You didn't have to get a passport. So let's just go, let's try to make some connections. Because it was just kind of mind boggling to me that that people were content with, I'm going to show up to my Bible study and you know, quote, learn more. And that means that I am like more mature in Jesus. I don't know. I just remember thinking that from the very beginning, because I just have always loved going and getting out there. And I, but like I said, it was really hard to do that because no one really wanted to. Yeah. So I would say the first five to seven years of pastoring there, it was really like hopping on the train of church growth. You know, how does church work? Let's get the systems in place. Let's put on the worship events. Let's have ministries. Let's do marketing. Mm. You know, let's make Easter this big thing because that's your growth Sunday. And then there's calendars. Oh my gosh, remember door hangers? Yeah, then you put door hangers out. And it's just this whole like, you know, and then I kind of get caught in this milieu of like, we're all pushing for a thousand because once you get to a thousand, you know, then that like, that's the goal. That's the marker, right. That we're all trying to hit. And, and how do you do that? Well, it's very simple. Like you just, like, you got to let people know in your community about your church. So you get TV ads and door hangers and you do all that kind of stuff. And then when they come, you got to have a really, really good service that encourages them and inspires them and something like that. And then you have, you know, the more ministries you can have, the bigger your church is going to be. So you, you're always thinking in terms of what ministry can we start, right? Well, we got to have a men's ministry and a women's ministry and a youth ministry and a kid's ministry. What other ministry can we start? Well, let's do a grieving thing because that'll bring in people. Let's do divorce care because that'll bring in people. Let's do celebrate recovery because that will bring in people. And then so the way that you kind of grow a church in that model. kind of in that model is mm-hmm. it really comes down to the more goods and services you can offer the more well, the more people the, have. Yeah. Isn't it the thought that if you build it, they will come? Yeah, it really is. It really is. And, and I should say, I wanted to throw in like, I'm not disparaging any of those things because I know that those things have impacted people's lives in a positive way. I think where we're going with this is we wound up really feeling kind of a holy discontent. Yeah. About seven years in where it was like we are working our 
literal butts off, constant, nonstop trying the next thing. We called it digging ditches. We're digging ditches because we're just trying to build this thing. We're trying to get it off the ground. We're trying to get people to come. And we were in a situation where there wasn't a lot of money. And so that's kind of what it boils down to here in our American church traditional model is the person with all the money is king. So that's why you wind up with these mega churches that just, it's like mind boggling, but they have the money to offer these things that consumers want. And so, yeah, it was like about seven years in, we really felt a holy discontent with like, why are we offering goods and services to consumers? Because I'm not seeing that. That's not kingdom. I'm not seeing that anywhere in the Bible. I think that's kind of, we started making a shift slowly to, we want our church to be outward focused. I've said it so many times, but American Christians are overfed and so fat. They need to get up off that pew, up up off their butts and work it off by serving. And, you know, that's really hard because nobody really wants to. I think, you know, human nature, I'm the same way. Like, I want to go. I want to be comfy. I want to drink my coffee. And I want to have some smiley guy tell me that if I just believe enough, I'll have a million dollars. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So I would say your assessment that about seven years into it, we kind of got that holy discontent that were, you know, from my vantage point, I'm really saying to myself at that time, what, 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 what are we doing here? Like, yeah. is this, is this really what church is all about? Like, this is this what Jesus had in mind that yeah. we're just going to run ourselves ragged and pastors are just going to be? I mean, I'm not saying this like flippantly, but they're literally going to be killing themselves. Mm-hmm. because of all the pressures that that go on and and it's yeah. this, is this it and i think it really hit me right right between the eyes one easter where you know easter's i mean that's the sunday man like mm-hmm. that's when your church yeah. is going to grow you got to go you got to go all out for easter and so after christmas it's like let's go easter planning so we're spending hours and hours and hours every week what are we going to do and let's get some money and okay this year we want to do door hangers and we're going to get a taco guy and we're going to have like let's hire a couple of musicians and let's you know make sure we have the pretty lilies and we got to get some cool video and you know what's the sermon going to be and i mean you spend 3 months just working on your Easter sermon. So it's it's this big event. And so, you know, we're doing this and we're spending thousands and thousands of dollars on this on this okay. service. And and we're not, you know, at the time we're not a huge church. We're a couple hundred people maybe. And, you know, after an Easter service, maybe we'd be like 250, 300, you know, everybody that's there and with kids and everything. And so it's not like, you know, we weren't we're, we're mega church, right? But we're not like small, but we're not mega church. And so I just remember, you know, you give the altar call and this is great. And and I just remember like, I think I've seen that guy the last three years come up. Like, I'm pretty sure I've seen him come up and receive Jesus again. And oh yeah, that guy over there, that is you know, grandma, somebody's nephew. And he comes every year, but he has no interest in being here. And so I just... I was really at the end of that Easter, everybody was excited and everybody's in their Sunday best and their hats and mm-hmm. we're going to go have dinner with our family. And I just went away from that thinking like, 
there's just no way. Like it's got to be more. Like this is not what you just. I just, I just don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And I remember coming back the next Easter, and I started telling people, like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm really not interested with entertaining Christians on Easter. We're going to spend thousands of dollars to put on this pretty Easter production. And, you know, but all of us pastors, we talk in terms of like, yeah, but it's a big outreach Sunday. No, it's not. It's dude. Not. No, it's not. Stop it. It's not. <laughs> right. Because if if you really think it's, it's a big yeah. outreach Sunday, show me next week what it's like. And every pastor in America knows the heartbreak that you feel on what I call Black Sunday, (laughs) right? It's the Sunday after Easter. Where are they? Not even the people who are in your church came back. So let's stop with this. Easter is a big outreach. So I just said, no, 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 no. We need to go out and we need to get in the community and let's take church to the people. So we went out and, and we got in into the community and we eventually turned it into a thing called Easter in the park. And we had like 1200 people there and we kept saying to people like uh, 1200 or more. And we kept saying to people like they're all unchurched because if they were church, they would be in church on Easter Sunday. We're seeing people come to Jesus and, you know, it's just a lot of really great things happening. And our response from that was there was a portion of our community that was very excited and we want to do it. And there was another portion of the, yeah, in our, in our church, there was another portion of our church that did not like it at all because I want vehemently opposed because I want my church service and like they would literally boycott and go to another church. It was because yeah, it's sacrilegious to go outside. An Easter service. So, That was really a turning point, I think, is we started getting out in the community and we're seeing God do some really great things. Well, this goes into what you were saying earlier is oftentimes or what we found was as soon as you try to get missional and go out and reach the community and incarnate and kind of become a little more kingdom focused, you become diametrically opposed to the to the machine, to the institution, because whether you want to hear it or not, the church is an institution. It's a it's a machine, and it requires new members always turning right, yeah. and it requires new new giving units as they call it right. It requires the money, and it's it's just a machine that's got to keep going. And so when you're like running this machine, it's really hard to go out and do the things that you may want to do. And I'm just talking from being in it for so many years. It's really, really hard. And so we kept coming against these kinds of ideas. And so we would have people, you know, come and say, you know, I just feel like I need to go somewhere else where, you know, I'm a little more fed or maybe they have some more, you know, some more ministries for me and my family. And I'm like, so basically what you're saying is you don't like the fact that we're going out and ministering to people and helping homeless folks. And I mean, we had one family that said, if you guys are going to continue to host homeless families here for, you know, overnight stays, we're, we're not going to attend anymore. Really? Like we can't yeah. host homeless families when right. you're not even here I know. <laughs> when they're here, you know, well, no, we just want a really safe environment for our kids. And so we kept seeing this kind of thing. And then we started getting a lot of pushback from our denomination yeah. because 
So what's your ROI? Like what's your return on investment for these outreaches that you're doing? What do you mean what's my ROI? My return on investment on an outreach? I didn't know I was supposed to have an ROI. (laughs) (laughs) You know, well, how many people... I mean, I remember being in a meeting with denominational leaders and I asked the question, so from your outreach, how many of those people turned into giving units, like literally giving units? And I was like, Ex- giving units? Like People aren't even people anymore? Yeah, they're just yeah. giving units, right? Yeah. And so we just, we're like, this just, it cannot be. And so eventually that turned into, you know, being forced out, you know. Yeah. That's a story for another day, right? Because ultimately what we saw and what we were, what we experienced was this particular way of doing church is corporate and it is American. It is not kingdom. And when you really broke it down, businesses want return on investment. Businesses need to market. I don't think Jesus ever did any marketing. You know, the disciples weren't going out and saying, hey, guys, come see our new children's wing. Yeah, because Jesus was doing he was offering life and life abundantly. And I think what's happened in our American church culture is because we have these big, expensive buildings, it naturally requires money and then people turn into a commodity rather than what does Jesus say about their lives and who has God made them to be and how can we multiply the kingdom? Because it's no longer about multiplying the kingdom. It's now about we've got to pay for this building and we want to be the big dog on the block. So, I mean, we have churches in our valley that compete with each other every year with their Halloween thing. One year, somebody got giraffes. And so the next year, somebody got, who was it? Like Chris Hemsworth or, I, you know, whoever they got. Well, let's be honest here. If someone got Chris Hemsworth, well, you, would, I would, you would be there. Yes, I would, yes, I would you would be there. there. Yes, and I would be there too, keeping an eye on you. Um, oh, yeah, God. that's for sure. No, but you're, you're right. And it, it's like, the more I, I kind of got into the church world, the more I began to see like, I think a lot of people from the pews don't really have a behind the scenes viewpoint, but really there are whole businesses devoted to getting your church to grow. And they, they, and that there's metrics for everything. I remember your assimilation metrics where if you can keep one out of three uh, visiting units, that's, they're not even, they don't even have names of people, right. Or even their last Mm -hmm. names, it's just visiting units. Then you'll be a mega church in five years, right. Just because of the numbers. If you can do one of five, you'll have an annual growth of like 10%. If you keep anything less than one in seven, your church will die in a matter of a few years. And so there's all these metrics that you're looking out, that mm-hmm. you're looking at, hey, come in and buy our service because we can guarantee you a 1% return visitor rate yeah. on, on your door hangers, right? Mm-hmm. There's other serv- church services that say, just pay us a monthly fee and we'll send you prepackaged sermons with all the graphics and everything. And if you'll just use this system, we will guarantee your church will grow by you know, 10% this year. And that's fundamentally what it's about. Mm -hmm. And I think we both came to this, this point uh, recently where we had to say like, please tell me there's more than this. Please tell me there's more than this. Yeah. Yeah. Like five years ago, 
gosh, I forget when it came out, but Ren Collective came out with their song, Build Your Kingdom Here. And instantly I loved it. You loved it. We played the video for our kids. They loved it. And as I unpacked that song, because, you know, I was the worship leader for so long and songs would always kind of direct our season to some extent. We started singing that song because that was really the cry of our heart is build your kingdom here, Lord. And when you look at what the kingdom is and what Jesus valued and what he taught, we weren't seeing any of that in our church community. And it's not that people were bad or evil or anything. It's just the structure, the in and of itself, in order to maintain itself, necessitated this way of, I mean, it really doing business. And you've got to make your, quote, giving units happy and telling them that Jesus wants them to Sabbath and Jesus wants them to serve and they don't need to be fed. They've been fed enough their whole entire American Christian life that Jesus came for the least of these. And who are the least of these? Well, I don't know. Maybe a homeless mom and her two babies. Yeah, they're kind of the least of these. Do they look nice and tidy and put together? No, but they need Jesus way more than you do. (laughs) So we experienced as we unpacked that song and sang that song at our church, I myself, I'm just talking for myself, I think you did too, um, really started that journey of there has to be more. What are we even doing? And I would say that led us to Novo. So, you know, when we talk about our old church and everything, yes, the size dwindled. And I would say that in that model, we failed because we didn't grow it. We didn't grow it to a thousand, not because we didn't want to, but because we weren't willing to do the shady stuff that you would have to do. We weren't willing to sell out in order to get there because anyone can get there. You just have to chuck the kingdom stuff and pay people to put on a great production. So anyway, that led us to Novo and this thing called refocusing with Novo and as we took our church through refocusing and learning what it means to be missional in our community, I think for us, that was a three-year process that really sealed the deal. Like we are passionate about not only reaching out, but training people to reach out and getting people to be who God made them to be and live in kingdom purpose. That's what we love doing. So we ended up being, quote, invited to leave our church. <laughs> we, yeah, that's <laughs> a nice way to put it. I know. We weren't invited. Yeah. They kicked us out. It was most likely illegal, by the way. But whatever. <laughs> You're going to get us um, in trouble. I know. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Um, but well, we joined Novo. That's where I'm getting. We joined Novo because Novo is this missionary organization, and we've been so impressed by the everyone we talk to in Novo is saying the same things that we're saying. And it's like, oh my gosh, we found our people. And the spirit is moving um, in all over the world to talk about, you know, in Novo, we call them, what is it? Kingdom outposts. Yeah. Fresh expressions of church, because what we're seeing in the U.S. is that this model of traditional church, and if you build it, they will come and consumer Christianity and all of that stuff, people are leaving it. They want nothing to do with it because it's inauthentic and they know it, right? Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. So we're seeing Novo and the the work that they're doing and that now we're a part of getting it started here in our valley. Yeah. I think that really, as we kind of bring things to a close and wrap up, I think from my perspective, I would just simply say, if you're listening to this podcast, hear our hearts. We love the local church. We're not saying to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We pastored a local church for a long time. Jesus did a lot of great things. A lot of people were healed. A lot of people were saved. A lot of people got baptized. A lot of churches, you know, came about, a lot of ministry leaders. It was all wonderful. Not all wonderful, but, you know, there was a lot of great things happening. Yeah, there was fruit that was there. But as we step back, we're simply asking this question, is there more than this? Like, is, is, is this all there is? And our answer to that question is no, there's a lot more that Jesus has that he wants his church to be about than what the answer is. Yes, there is a lot. More. Yeah. Yes, there is a lot more. And we want to be forerunners in taking the church into new places, into creative expressions of the church to begin to ask those questions and wrestle with, well, if it's not that traditional local church model, then what are some other models that can work, that are working, that can reach more and more people? I'll talk about this more, but I'll, I'll just end with this. You know, historically speaking, the American church at its peak has reached about, well, the local church model, you know, the kind of community church or mm -hmm. something along those lines at its peak has reached 40% of the population. Now, if we were to look at those numbers today, it's more than likely we're in the twenties, but no one wants to say that. Um, <laughs> Just but, say it. Yeah, but we, we really are. Historically speaking, you know, if you just look at the statistics since the advent of the megachurch, we have lost 8% in, in the U.S. But let's just say it's 40%. You know, when when mm -hmm. when the local church is really clicking and kind of doing everything that it can do, it's going to reach 40% of the population. Well, my question is, well, what about the other 60%? Do we really believe that if we just get better at doing what we're already doing, that the other 60% is going to come? Do we really believe that if our services are just better, if they're tighter, if we have more ministry, if we do more door hangers, if we, if we put more money into it, if we have more staff meetings, if we do more worship nights, that that's really going to reach the 60%? I don't think so. So in order to reach that 60%, we've got to begin to explore creative, innovative, fresh expressions of the kingdom. And we need to legitimize those expressions and say, yes, meeting in a bar, doing a discovery Bible study with a group mm -hmm. of 10 people is a church and it's not yeah. less than a church. Absolutely. It's not a well, ministry of something. It is like a fresh expression. So what does it look like? So that's what we're going to be talking about as we continue in this podcast through season one is taking a look at historical things, looking at the 60% fresh expressions. That's kind of really where we're wanting to come from. Yeah. And ultimately we really want to see God's spirit move and we want to see God's hand move in our nation, the way that he's moved in the middle East, China, all these places where you can't have a make a church the gospel is exploding. And so what are they doing? Because let me tell you, my neighbors need Jesus. They really don't need a fancy kids building, but they really do need Jesus. 
Yeah. So I think a lot of us in the Christian world, we have our heads in the sand because, you know, we see a mega church on every corner or all of our friends are Christians, but we're, we're really not, we're in denial about the state of the church in the U.S. It's bad. It's really bad. And every denomination, I don't care what denomination you're a part of, they're all dying. It's all going down. And it doesn't matter if your church is is growing and, man, we're doing so much. The studies say that the churches that are growing, it's not happening because of conversion growth. It's happening because of transfer growth. So Mm -hmm. all of the Christians from the other small church that couldn't exist, they're coming to this one. Like, that's the state of the church. And we've got to just move in different directions. So we're going to explore that uh, in these seasons with different interviews and some different uh, conversations that we're going to have. So. Yeah, so thanks for joining us. Next week, we are interviewing Rob Haddam from Novo Refocusing Team, and he's going to share with us kind of a 30,000-foot view, a bird's-eye view of the church in America. He works with countless churches, countless pastors from across denominational lines, and he's going to share with us what he's seeing in the church, what he's seeing God doing in the church. And he also has a wonderful, wonderful discussion about COVID and how that is affecting the church and what he sees going forward. So great. If you uh, have a chance, if you could go ahead and subscribe to our podcast and feel free to check out what we're doing on the Lowry's on mission.org. That's the Lowry's on mission.org. And you can also find us on Facebook from the same name, the Lowry's on mission. And uh, Kristen, uh, any mm-hmm. parting words before we go? No, thanks for listening. And I hope we get to have you guys you're out there. Listen again. Okay. Well, God bless you all. And uh, you have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye.